Oh, hey, Twitter. It's Tuesday, and we're coming to you live from Gay Hell. I'll be interviewing Gabrielle Iglesias and Sherry Shepard, and we're talking to out queer candidate Tiffany Caban. Mm, so it's going to be cute, it's going to be hot, and it's going to feel a little bit like hell. So stay tuned. Ooh. This humidity is my gay hell. It is, but you know there's a real place now? I can't wait. Like, geographically go. real. I want to go there. We'll go. He's Zach Stafford, and you are watching AM to DM. And it's Gay Hell Day! Gay Hell! You'll soon learn what that means, but how are you doing today? I'm good. You know, Tuesdays, I think, are the worst day of the week. They, I, but you have a phrase for this. I do. So I say, tough shit, it's Tuesday, T-S-I-T. Hashtag. Because, yes, because you are four days away from the weekend. You are not basking in the glow that you do on Mondays, mm. thinking about how lovely your weekend was. Mm. Or how, hungo how hungover or you are. Or how hungover you are, but hopefully you got there because you were having a good time. So, mm. I don't well, know, I think it's the worst. Time. Well, Tuesday, we're going to push through. We're here with you. <laughs> we got this, y'all. We got this. So, yesterday, hell did not freeze over, but it did get a little Gay. YouTuber Elijah Daniel tweeted, ahead of Pride Month, Trump's administration put a ban on NBC's flying Pride flags. So, as of today, I'm now the owner of Hell, Michigan. I bought the whole town. And my first act as owner, I have renamed my town to Gay Hell, Michigan. <laughs> the only flags allowed to fly are Pride ones. And he continued, Gay Hell, Michigan has everything. A library, a place to lock your love in Gay Hell, and even a wedding chapel to get gay married in Hell. <laughs> Long live gay hell. I love it. Gay hell is so cute. It looks warm, but it also will freeze over because Michigan does freeze a lot, a lot, a lot. This, this hell is but a cold one. Alex, how, how expensive do you think hell is? <laughs> I mean, this is a question that I have. Like, how does one buy an entire yeah. town? How much does that set you back? I don't know, because, you know, Schitt's Creek, I know you're not a big watcher of the show, but the whole premise is that they buy a, a place called Schitt's Creek for as a joke. Um, but they never say how much it costs, I don't think. I don't remember if they do. But, like, I didn't know you could actually do that. I mean, apparently you can. Like, I, that's great. Cute for y'all, Michigan. But it's also perfect. You know, this whole mess around the embassies and flying pride flags is just dumb to be quite honest. So for someone to be like, you know what, I'm gonna take your homophobia and raise it a town, Iconic. Okay. Brilliant. I Love mean, you. it's just very 2019 to be mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, we wanted queer liberation around yeah. the globe, and instead we got a town named Gay Hell, because yeah. I guess that's just yeah. what we deserve. And now they can make gay rules. What rule would yes. you make for your gay town? So uh, my gay town would be that if you are a heterosexual person, you have to come out as straight. You have Ooh, to be like, I love Mom, that. Dad, I have something to tell you. Own your truth. Name I'm it. I'm straight. I love yeah. that. I love yeah. that. What about you? <gasps> Mine would be before the age of 18, you need to have done drag at least once. Ooh. Full performance, full face, full everything. So it's like instead of getting a driver's license, mm -hmm. you are getting like a license to drag. Yes, exactly. It's like, you know, taking your learner's permit test. Take huh. your learner's permit test and you also take your drag test, you know? I think it's cute. I think that we should be like the king and queen of the gay hell or something. Can yeah, we should We should be out like in the, on the city council of gay hell. We'll start our campaign right now. <laughs> yeah. <is> amazing. <laughs> well, let's take it to the timeline. What's your personal gay hell? Let us know using the hashtag AM2DM. What's your personal gay hell? Well, it's not Gay Hell, Michigan, um, <laughs> sadly. I think I've driven through there. I would say it's a circuit club at 2 in the morning, a circuit party, when everyone's like zombie dancing. Ooh. I hate that, and I always just want a taco and to go. Mm -hmm. and what about you? Mine would be at Last Call at the Cubby Hole, when oh. everyone, yes, is far too drunk to still be out, and Last Call, everybody like get, tries to run to the bar, mm -hmm. just you're throwing elbows to get in there. It's a whole 
hole thing. I have not been to the cubby hole in probably like eight years, so I want to experience this with you. Um, we're going to make it Pride happen. Month. Yes, Pride, <laughs> Pride Month, gay hell, instead of gay rights, I guess. I love it. Well, moving on to some other news. Parkland survivor Kyle Cash have tweeted, Harvard rescinded my acceptance. Three months after being admitted to Harvard class of 2023, Harvard has decided to rescind my admission over texts and comments made nearly two years ago, months prior to the shooting. Mm. Rex Hupke tweeted, I feel like the people condemning Harvard and standing up for Kyle Koshev aren't entirely clear on what the kid actually wrote and what others he was communicating with wrote. It's shockingly racist and anti-Semitic. Daily Beast reporter Will Summer tweeted, Pro-gun Parkland survivor Kyle Koshev says he doesn't know what to do next after losing his Harvard admission for using racist slurs, claiming he turned down, quote, huge scholarships at other schools. Will joins us to talk about this story. Good morning. Hey, thanks for having me. So how did the messages that got Cash's admission rescinded originally come to light? Right. So they were made when he was about 16. So two years ago, uh, one was in a shared Google Doc for an AP U.S. history class. And he essentially said the N-word over and over. Uh, And then the others were in text messages where he referred to black student athletes as, you know, another kind of very, like a, a real vile racial slur as well. Mm. And tell us more about Kyle. Who is he and why is he generating so much interest from pro-gun activists? Right. So Kyle's an interesting figure on the right. Um, Of course, after the Parkland shooting, you know, we remember the students who became big uh, pro-gun control activists like David Hogg or Emma Gonzalez. On the other side, the right was like, well, we need a Parkland person who is going to be a big Second Amendment person. So they they found Kyle Kashev, who was uh, another Parkland student. And he really like shot to fame on the right on the basis of this. So he, he went to the White House, met with Trump. He got a job with Turning Point USA, uh, which is Charlie Kirk's group. And, um, you know, he was really everywhere. Uh, So on the right, he was on Fox News a lot. So he was like a, he he was a very big deal um, up right up up until these messages came out when everyone cut ties with him. Well, the far right activist, uh, Laura Loomer, actually uh, was part of this campaign to get his uh, admission rescinded. Uh, Jacob Wall was celebrating it. Um, Where do these two fit into all this? So this is an interesting, there, there's a lot of uh, feuds going on on the right. And so in this case, basically they see Kyle Kashev as a protege of Ben Shapiro's kind of a famous conservative pundit. Uh, and they're not incorrect about that. And they sort of see getting back at Kyle Kashev as a way to embarrass Ben Shapiro, who they have many of their own beefs with. So you end up with a lot of people who are kind of further right than Kashev and Ben Shapiro, uh, kind of teaming up in this attempt to get his Harvard admission rescinded. They simply sent a lot of emails. They told their fans to call Harvard. Now, do I think Harvard cares that much about what, you know, what Laura Loomer or Jacob Wool thinks? Maybe not, but they certainly gave it a shot. Mm-mm. So what's next for Kyle? What does one do when they are denied from Harvard after being accepted? Well, it's interesting. So, you know, he was already planning to take a gap year. So it's, uh, you know, he, he's saying he's already rejected these other colleges or something. But if he's not planning to go to college until the fall of 2020, uh, presumably he has some time. Uh, but, but, you know, it's, it's certainly an interesting case. You know, it's come to light more recently that uh, last year Harvard rescinded some uh, some other students' admissions based on some racist memes they had posted. So surprisingly, this isn't a totally unusual situation for Harvard. This has happened before. Hmm, You say this has happened before. Uh, What about to the other Parkland students? Have they faced their own similar internet controversies? Sorry, I I cut out there. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, obviously they've faced a lot of blowback as well. Um, You know, in light of this, you know, we saw some Parkland students celebrating on Twitter, you know, sort of saying, you know, kind of a sarcastic thoughts and prayers for it. Oh, well, well, thank you so much for joining us. Great. Thanks for having me.
And before we move on, we want to note this tweet. Joy Childs tweeted, Riddle me this, why do a lot of y'all's youthful mistakes always include racial slurs? Ooh, amen. I, and I just have to say here, you know, as a black person that grew up in the South, if every white student who applied for college was then kicked out for saying the N-word, schools would be less white. Ooh, and I mean, the, the other thing too that like, I was really thinking about is like racism is not a folly of youth. It is not mm -hmm. something that you should get dismissed when you are 16 years old. This was all so deeply problematic. And yep. it's just so troubling for people to diminish the stuff that he said. Exactly. And that a lot of these folks on Twitter are saying, you know, this happened before the shooting, so it doesn't count. And, you know, that we should not be making excuses for severe racism and anti-Semitism like that. So I do think, you know, if there's policies in place and Harvard's been following this policy, then they are in the right. And that yeah. is, that's that on that. Yes. I wish we could all just agree that if you do or say harmful and offensive things, you ought to be held accountable. There are repercussions. Yeah. So speaking of repercussions, the lawsuit over Alex Jones saying the Sandy Hook shooting was a hoax has taken a turn. Connecticut Post tweeted, conspiracy theorists and InfoWars host Alex Jones sent child pornography to the lawyers for the families of the Sandy Hook tragedy, their lawyers said. Gizmodo reporter Del Cameron tweeted, the phrasing plaintiffs use in the Alex Jones case, quote, the FBI advised counsel that its review located numerous additional illegal images which had apparently been sent to InfoWars email addresses. FBI's job is now to ascertain whether Jones knowingly possessed the images. Mm. Dell joins us now to break down what exactly happened. Hello. Oop. Hi, Dell. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good, 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 good. Uh, so why did Jones send over this material in the first place? Um, so it's part of the discovery in a lawsuit brought by um, the families of a child and an educator um, and they're suing uh, Jones uh, for a number of reasons, and one being that he appears to be, uh, or they're, they're accusing him of making money um, by inflicting the emotional stress on these families, uh, you know, namely by uh, saying that they're lying that the, the shooting took place, um, which is something that he's actually recanted under oath. Where uh, is Jones and Infowars saying this material came from? Um, you're, you're cutting out actually, but, <laughs> um, they're saying that the, the files were planted. Um, they've said that they came, uh, uh, as a result of malware. Um, I don't know if any of that is likely and definitely none of it's confirmed. Um, but their opinion is that someone sent this material to Infowars, uh, in order to, um, get them, basically get them in trouble with the law, uh, to cause the exact type of scenario that's happening right now. Um, which is something I think, you know, we all have to acknowledge is, is perhaps a possibility. Mm. And had this material been reported to the FBI prior to the Sandy Hook lawyers uh, obtaining it? Uh, there's no indication of that. Um, so, I mean, essentially what happened is that uh, in January, uh, the, the, the plaintiffs um, requested a, uh, uh, they sent uh, Alex Jones and Infowars a list of keywords so they could go through their servers and identify any material um, that was related to this uh, uh, lawsuit. Um, and I think they did an, uh, an initial search and found around 80,000 files. Um, and that was out of a universe of, I think they said that the InfoWars server uh, holds around 9 million files. Um, so they had several months to go through all these 80,000 files that they had identified uh, as relevant to the, to the case. And they just never seemed to get that done. They missed several deadlines. 
Um, and then a few months ago, they just handed over everything and said, well, a lot of this is not going to be responsive to your request, but um, here's everything we have. And it turned out that uh, some of that material, we don't really know exactly how much, contained uh, child pornography. Why does uh, Alex Jones believe he was framed? Did you hear my question? Why does Alex Jones oh, no. believe that he was framed? Well, I mean, his position is that the these files uh, were sent to him that he didn't know that they existed. Um, his lawyers claim his lawyer claims that uh, the files were never opened. Um, Alex Jones isn't the only person sort of involved in this lawsuit. I mean, his father, uh, David Jones, who is, I guess, the human resource manager for um, his e-commerce business. Um, he has an IT guy named Michael Zimmerman that's involved. Both of those uh, people were deposed last month. Um, but anyway, I mean, his attorneys claim that the, that the files were never opened. They were embedded in emails. Um, and, you know, it's his uh, position that someone sent that, that material to him um, in order to frame him. Um, there's a lot, I think, it, you know, we have to acknowledge that there's a lot we just don't know at this point. Um, you know, Alex Jones claims that he's about to be vindicated. There's a hearing today on this, and I think we'll get a, a few more answers. Um, but right now, there's just so much that we don't know. Um, you know, for instance, we, we're not really sure if Jones was ever the, the target of an FBI investigation. It's not clear that there's actually an FBI investigation ongoing because, of course, they won't confirm that. Um, so we only kind of have the words of uh, Jones and his attorneys to go on. Mm-mm. Well, thank you for joining us today, Dell. That was quite insightful. Thank you. Up next, we are saging your timeline with some fire tweets. So stay tuned. Fire! Fire! Welcome back. It's time for our favorite part of the show, which is fire tweets. You fire ready tweets. for this? Fire tweets and gay health. Ah, fire Why tweets and gay health. Perfect. We should have rainbow fire today. We should uh, have rainbow fire. Oh my god! Oh my god! Well, let's get our buttons out. Let's for get this these buttons out. Let's get ready to do this buttons. thing. All right, ready? <laughs> ready? Lemonade was a popular drink and still is. You tweeted. How do lawyers argue without crying? Mm, so my tears don't actually work. I turn them off. You turn them off? Mm-hmm, How does fact. one do that? I, I don't you know. You just I decided went, you were I done crying? I Home Depot and I was like, can you fix this? <laughs> like, turn on these off. So this is not a problem for you? It's not. I think if I was to cry after an argument or with, due to an argument, it's after it, not during. I don't mm-hmm. want to show weakness as Donald Trump. So. <laughs> oh my God. You like have a catharsis. You wait until it's done. You yeah. have your catharsis. Have yeah, I don't either. Moment. I think I like to, you know, stand firm in my arguments and mm-hmm. then... Then let it be. I love that. Okay, we should fight together someday. (laughs) (laughs) See how much tears come out. (laughs) All right, Jason Gilbert, you tweet it. Don Draper, what do Democratic voters want? They want clapback. They want yes, queen. They want unveils exclusive boy by wallpaper. The tea, sis. (laughs) I am so... So, so tired I hope Beyonce already. sues whomever. I know that that's what this uh, this is the reference to. Ugh, but I just, I mean, you know, do whatever you need to do, Democratic Party, to really fight if you need, if that's what you want. Uh, but stealing from Beyonce is is a move. Uh, a I mean, like, who? Uh, why would you even? Uh, it's yeah. so good. <laughs> All right, Lizzo, you tweeted me after drinking eight glasses of water and eating kale. Oh my God. You know, Lizzo is already so perfect. Like, this is just, 
when she doesn't even need to more be, even consider skinny legend status. Like she's perfect as is. But I think she did do that on purpose. You think so? Because Lizzo is so intentional about everything. Yeah. And she's so good at the internet. And I feel as if she knew this would become a meme like it has. So, like it has. Bravo. Well, I hope that people saw the original outfit, which is like this really amazing kind of like lime neon mm-hmm. green situation. So mm. yes. Green will look good on her. Looks yes. good. Mm. So good. Go yep. Lizzo. All right. <laughs> official Inya, you tweet it. It should be illegal to like Harry Potter after the age of 18. Smoke a fucking cigarette. Oh. Oh, God, oh. I don't smoke. <laughs> that was just called acting. It's acting. I'm getting working out for my <laughs> Oscar nomination. You know, I just have to say, I have a hard, hard disagree with this one. Like, really? I enjoy Harry Potter. I am over the age of 18. Mm-hmm. Also, aren't the teens jeweling? Like, is anybody the actually... Te- the teens are jeweling. It's why, and it's why tobacco is going back up in sales. All Jewel right. has done this. Yeah. But we'd love to hear from you all. What film or what movie did you absolutely love growing up, but you have outgrown? Let us know using the hashtag AM2DM. What was yours? I mean, I used to love, the probably the first movie I ever saw was like The Little Mermaid, and I have just, think, far outgrown all Disney cartoons, mm, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. What about you? I would say mine would have to be The Fox and the Hound, but I don't think I've outgrown it because that was a same-sex relationship. It was interracial. <laughs> it was different species. Always the opportunity to project. Mm-hmm. Always. Hey, this is my therapist. So okay. Uh-huh. All, right. all right, tweet of the day. Let's do it. Comes from Vander, no one. The Target self-checkout camera. You are the ugliest motherfucker to ever walk this planet. <laughs> it is really shocking when you walk up to checkout and you see this awful picture of you and it's really it blown is. out and it it's is. like this fisheye. So I, yes, that is a sign that the world is ending. Yeah, do you ever go up at, to the checkout camera and you're like looking back and forth, maybe doing a little pose, waving to whoever's watching? Sometimes you look at Instagram story there where you're like, look how terrible <laughs> I look. Scroll up and down. I, I mean, I've definitely taken a selfie of mm-hmm. my own reflection in those and um, even Home Depot has, I think, security cameras. Really? Certain, yeah, at, like on the shelves in certain <laughs> sections. They want to keep I, their eyes on you but I'm always like, this is just an opportunity for me to like, I must you know. make note here, Twitter, that of course a queer woman would bring up Home Depot. I mean, in a, it, is, in a it, is, it is part of my brand, you know? Oh, it's required. It is one of the rules of gay health. Yes, it yes. is. Gay yeah. rules. Home Depot. <laughs> well, coming up, Alex is sitting down with actor Sherry Shepard and comedian Gabrielle Igl- Gabriel Iglesias. But up next, more am to dm Welcome back. Alyssa tweeted, Perks of LA, you live near beaches and apartments are huge and everyone is happy. Perks of New York City, pizza. As you know, I just moved to New York from LA and this could not be more true, but I'm still trying to figure out the best way to enjoy my leftovers. That is why I was so excited for Chef JJ to come to the Tasty Kitchen and show us the best way to reheat pizza. Let's take a look. Hey, what's up everyone? I'm JJ Johnson. I'm gonna show you all about New York City's best pizza, but not about how good it tastes, but how to reheat it in your kitchen. Come along for the ride and trust me. Listen, it's getting real crazy in the Tasty Kitchen. I throw my pizza in the fridge just on a plate. Others individually wrap theirs. I want you to hashtag AmnaDM. I'm taking this pizza to the fridge. All right, so I just grabbed the pizza out the fridge. You need a stove top, a nice size pan, a half cup of water, some aluminum foil. You just place the aluminum foil into the pan. Grab a slice of your cold pizza. 
wrap it up. Try to close it as best as possible. And the reason why I put in aluminum foil and like a good amount of water is it's like a steaming, baking process going on. So the cheese should be like super melty. The crust should be nice and crispy. You're gonna let this reheat for about 10 minutes. All right, let's see how it looks. Oh, look at that, look at that pizza. Listen, this is how you want your reheatable pizza to look. We got more AM to DM coming up next. Welcome back. Joining us now is candidate for Queens District Attorney, Tiffany Caban. Good morning. Good morning. How are y'all doing? We're great. We're so good. It's so, nice, with you. it's so nice to talk to you today. So let's jump in. Your race received a boost ever since Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez endorsed you. What was it like before and after her endorsement? You know, I mean, even before the endorsement, um, we've been picking up a lot of good momentum, really coalition building, uh, thinking back on it even to, to think about the fact that this is something that started with four women sitting around a table saying, we are going to change the system. And over the span of just you know four or five, six months, building this powerful grassroots coalition, very much so people powered hundreds of volunteers out, um, the support of community-based organizations and really people getting invested. And then with, with Congresswoman um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez jumping in, one, I think it really spoke to the strength of, of our grassroots movement, um, but it provided us with a boost of being able to get our messaging out to, to more folks, because certainly you know, a lot of people don't know that you vote for your district attorney, but when we get out in front of voters and we tell them what we're about, what we're fighting for, overwhelmingly we win the conversation. So it, it definitely helped certainly getting our message across Queens. Mm. And why do you think women like yourself and AOC are not only running now, but also generating so much excitement? You know, I, I, I certainly not just in Queens, not just around our city, but around our country, there has been a real lack of representation. Um, and, you know, even just to localize it a little bit and see what's happening in Queens for the first time in the past couple of cycles, we have not just working class folks uh, running and winning. We have you know, people of color, we have Latinx folks, um, we have younger folks, and we have dreamers. We have, you know, first and second generation um, immigrants running and winning. And it just speaks to one, you know, an understanding for the need around intersectionality and our representation, and knowing that these are folks that are not running for power, um, for for influence, but really running simply to center the, the voices and experiences of their families, their neighbors, their community members, and there's so much power in that. And we're built, we're, you know, this is, this is a movement and it, it's, it's picking up steam and it's really, really great. Hmm. You say this is a movement and you've been challenged on your lack of prosecutorial experience in this campaign. Why mm -hmm. do you think your critics are wrong? I, I lost y'all a little bit. Oh yeah, I was just saying that uh, one of the things that you've been challenged on is your lack of prosecutorial experience. Why do you think your critics are wrong about that? So, I always talk about the fact that it is the exact right kind of experience. And it's not just my experience as a public defender, but certainly my personal experiences that brought me to public defense work. You know, I, I grew up in, in a low-income neighborhood in South Richmond Hill, Queens. My parents grew up in, in public housing projects in Woodside, Queens. And, you know, certainly those experiences in over-policed, over-criminalized, resource-starved communities has really shaped who I am and, and what I bring to my work as a public defender. But when we talk about, because this is a nationwide conversation, when we talk about criminal justice reform and sort of this new way of approaching our system and saying it's not about punishing for the sake of punishing but this is about public safety and, and if that's the case it makes all the sense in the world one to invest 
in stabilizing lives and communities as a way of achieving public safety, but also really acknowledging the fact that ours is a system built on racism and classism. And we really can use this office to be a vehicle for more equitable justice. And so these reforms that we're talking about, they're literally the things that public defenders have always known, have always fought for. This is not, you know, a, a revelation or a pivot or an evolution. It's a continuation of our work. And that's, and I think that is why we are seeing so many more defense attorneys being elected into these positions. Cause I think our communities recognize what public defenders, what defense attorneys bring to the table in terms of bringing about these much needed reforms. Mm-mm-mm. You mentioned equitable justice. So I'd love to ask you about pride month. We're hoping to get some to- breaking up again, a little bit and might, might have to have you ask again. So technical so difficulties out here on the internet. They shouldn't be messing with us during Pride yeah. Month. Yeah. <laughs> well, since it's Pride Month, we were hoping to focus on some of the LGBTQ justice components of your work. What do you think you can do for queer people as the Queens District Attorney? So, I mean, again, simply just being part of the community, I think is powerful because, it, again, it, it, it speaks to um, an understanding around what some of um, our communities are experiencing. You know, when we talk about who is oppressed and marginalized by our justice system, it is certainly black and brown folks. It is certainly low income and poor folks. It is certainly our immigrant communities, but it's also our LGBTQIA plus communities. I think it's a really, really powerful thing, at least for me personally, to be running as a queer Latina um, for district attorney on the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall riots, recognizing that, you know, those were folks, uh, and and particularly our our trans, you know, POC communities, people that have been pushed to the margins of the margins, fighting against police brutality and these these um, inequities in our justice system, uh, and you know, really bringing that fight to this race to make sure that we are doing better by our queer communities. We spend so much time talking about which we should, right? Like about how we can't have tolerance for um, crimes motivated by hate and things like that. But we also need to reckon with the fact that our justice system is one that disproportionately incarcerates our our queer um, communities and especially our queer POC communities. I mean, even just here in New York City recently, we had the the death of Laylene Polanco, um, which, you know, was entirely avoidable if we didn't, again, continue to criminalize and marginalize the experiences of folks that are already super vulnerable and marginalized in our communities. Mm, I'm glad you bring up Polanco because I was wondering for your uh, your thoughts on the, the fact that loitering and arrests and charges in your community of Queens have been mostly targeting transgender people. How would you, how would you as DA work with the police department to stop surveillance of those people? So, I mean, one, it starts with, as the DA, you have the power, this immense power of saying that, that you have discretion over what you prosecute and what you don't. And there's a, you know, there's the pushback is like, well, you are the law enforcement person, you have to prosecute all the crimes. But what people really might not be sort of aware of is the fact that there are plenty of crimes that are committed every single day that are our, our prosecutors don't prosecute. You know, here in Queens for 27 years, we've had the same prosecutor who throws black and brown folks in, in jail for jumping turnstiles for having a little bit of marijuana. But when your landlord turns off your heat in the middle of the winter, nothing happens, right? When these other destabilizing bad actors are, are doing things, we're not prosecuting those cases. So it's reprioritizing. And then also, you know, building relationships with the police and saying, hey, 
we're not going to process those arrests. We're not going to prosecute them. So stop making them and really being able to inform what police practices are and saying, hey, we will support you in making these kinds of arrests. Um, but also taking it a step further and really uh, supporting and empowering the police to do something other than make arrests. We see that happen in other places. You know, they do things like law enforcement assisted diversion where um, police officers have the option of not making an arrest and just simply providing access to support and services and saying, hey, I can get you over to a drop-in center. I can get you over to this service provider with no coercion involved. Not, you know, there's not like, or we're going to arrest you if you don't do this. And in places where they've done that, they've seen, um, and it's measurable, violence uh, go down between officers and civilians exponentially. So there are are places to sort of have partnership and, and really educate and inform better police practices. Now, Governor Cuomo has announced a crackdown on subway fare evasion by adding more officers. Do you think that's the right approach to this problem? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I am I am so strongly opposed to it. Again, it is just a continuation and incentivization of, of, of criminalizing poverty in our city. And it's just, again, we're talking about a system that is so incredibly inequitable, right? You park your car on the street and you don't pay your, your parking meter. At worst, you're going to get a ticket. Um, but what we're seeing are, you know, again, predominantly black and brown folks getting arrested for turnstile jumps and being processed. And, and just that simple contact with our justice system is so incredibly destabilizing and has a ripple effect, not just on them, but their families, their communities. This is not what we should be using um, police resources towards. Again, you know, there are so many other ways to have better public safety outcomes uh, rather than continuing to criminalize poverty, mental health, and and substance use disorder. Mm, There are so many other ways. Well, Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us today and good luck to you out there on the trail. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. More Aim to DM is up next. So we'll see. We'll stay tuned. Well, stay tuned. I can't talk today. Stay Stay tuned. tuned. This is The Sit Down, and I'm here with actors Sherry Shepard and Gabriel Iglesias, the stars of Mr. Iglesias, a new comedy series on Netflix. Thank you both so much for joining me. Thank, Thank you. Having it. That's cool. I got introduced as an actor. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, legit. Give me that sad card. <laughs> Give me that sad Obviously, card. No, Gabe was not, you know, that other scandal. We don't what? want to introduce you at least. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's get into talking about this series. Um, it's based on your life if you were going to become an educator instead of a comedian, right? And so how was it grappling with making that decision for you? Uh, there was, I mean, the grappling, I think it was more so through management, not, not as much <laughs> me. They're like, you need to do it. I'm like, all right. And I was perfectly content being just a stand-up comic, but they're like, no, you know what? You're, you're more than that. So I appreciate the, the belief in that. And Netflix gave me a nice, uh, you know, support system and we went with it. Thank goodness he yes. decided to do this. Yeah. And your character actually gravitates towards the kids who don't fit in. Why was it important for you to include that narrative in the show? Because that's what they wrote. <laughs> That's what they wrote. I just showed up. I wanted to get paid, get some merchandise. I got really good parking as an executive producer, which is pretty cool. I mean, good, glad to hear that. Yeah. No, it's awesome. I get free snacks, um, all the clothes I get to keep at the end of the day. It's not, it's not like being a regular stand He's telling all the fun stuff. It's so special, Gabe, doing this show because it takes, he is able to brilliantly skirt the line between stuff that's happening in uh you know, real world time, Mm -hmm. like what you were talking about with Harvard and rescinding Mm -hmm. admission, because this is the kind of stuff we probably will tackle. And then it being, you know, just the funny underneath it, because at the end of the day, Gabe is like, yes, let's tell a message. but We got to make sure it's funny. I've never never been called brilliant either. (laughs) Thank you. I said brilliantly. Sorry, you're right. Brilliantly. 
Well, if you get to play kind of a different version of yourself, um, Sherry, how much did you relate to your character as the principal? Well, first of all, they have it. I think it's so me. They have it that my professional life is completely perfect, but my personal <laughs> life is completely screwed up, which is so, I think somebody was reading my diary. Um, so it's, you know, Paula, I play Principal Paula, and I'm very good friends with, with Gabe, but he wants to change the world, and he wants, to, he wants to help every student, which goes against administration even in today. So it's, we always clash on mm. what's best. Mm. And uh, you've said before that it's important for people to be able to see who they relate to on screen. Were you thinking about that as you were making the series? I love the fact that when we watched Mr. Iglesias, it was so much diversity on the set. I think, yes, I think little brown boys and girls need to look up and see people that look like them. I think little Latinx kids should look up and see somebody that looks like, that has the same name, Iglesias. That you have, an, you have, to, say, you have to say it with an accent, not Iglesias, Iglesias. <laughs> I think that's so important in today, in, in today yes. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, <laughs> high school comedies, this got me thinking about some of uh, your previous work. And you were actually ca a cast member of the sixth season of All That. Oh, I thought you were going to bring up Magic Mike. <laughs> I mean, also, I, was, also, Magic I was in that. I was in Magic Mike. Mike. An iconic piece of cinema. Um, but uh, yes, it was. Do you, will you watch the All That reboot at all? Uh, I will. I will check it out just to see what's what's going on. I, I had a wonderful time being a cast member on season six of all that. Some people don't even realize, you know, he was on that. Yeah, and yeah. I was. A, I was a child star. So he I'm, had a wig <laughs> on one time and he was doing all that and busted his head and had to go to the hospital. That was the only bad part. <laughs> that was the only bad part. Oh Have you kept goodness. in touch with any of the cast members? Uh, you know what? I, I ran into Nick Cannon a couple times, uh, but as far as uh, anyone else is concerned, no, not really. Maybe on social media, just mm. a little. On social media, just yeah. a little bit. Well, uh, speaking of uh, past work that's coming back into the zeitgeist, um, The View is like constantly making right. headlines these yeah. days. Um, of course, there was the book, Ladies Who Punch. Yes. I know you said you never go back, but do you ever watch the show? Yeah, I watch the show. I love the hot topics. I, I scream at the TV. I, if I miss anything, I miss the hot topics. But <laughs> you going, scream at the TV. I scream at the TV because that's what we do. And I mean, but you know, going back to the view is like sleeping with an old boyfriend. It's, all, it's nice at night. Then you wake up and you're like, why are you still here? What you you're like, why did I do that? Again? So it's like I, I don't need to go back to my old boyfriend. Now I got, I got a new boyfriend. Oh, hey, hey, hey. Yeah, girl, scream at that TV. Scream at that TV. <laughs> well, you are. You're also set to star in uh, a movie called Brian Banks. Brian Banks, and uh, this is based on the true story of a black football player who was falsely accused of rape. And you know, you're a well-known comedian, so how do you prepare yourself for a more dramatic role like that? Oh, that was really hard, doing drama, but I think comics- Girl, are, I seen you on the set. You're, you, you got <laughs> drama. It's drama. She got it down. Well, you like, you did narco, so you had to do drama. I think- comics, I just got shot at narcos. Yeah, but that's drama. That oh, was, I, they, they, that was yeah, I walked in, shot. I spoke Spanish, and pow, pow, and I'm on the floor. And I cried. Okay. There we go. So and, and I think comics have a, 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 they are able to play pain really well in death. And um, and I, so it was it was a lot of me trying to get to that place. It, it was hard though, I'm not Meryl Streep. So when I was trying to get into the crying and somebody would go, oh my God, I love you, I'm dancing with the stars. I was like, for real? Oh. So it was it was a little hard. You have to like stay in you got, the yeah, I gotta stay of what you're in the doing. bathroom like 10 hours. Um, well, you're also friends with Niecy Nash who uh, plays a role with some parallels um, in uh, When They See Us. Did you talk about these parts at all with her? I did talk, well, she was my bridesmaid. We've known each other for like 35 years. So I like, I've see Nisi in every form evolution. So yes, we talked about it. I'm extremely happy for her. She's going to win awards and hopefully she'll still call me. Mm, hopefully she'll <laughs> still call you. Um, well, Gabriel, you're uh, actually currently on a comedy tour, speaking of some of the things y'all are working on right now. And, um, you know, your brand of comedy really just appeals to so many people. Um, and I'm curious, like when something happens to you in life, are you like, I got to put a pin in that to remember to like bring that story into my act? How does that work? 
Uh, yeah, something will happen to me, and then I'll talk about it that that night. I literally like uh, some of the stuff Sherry just said will wind up in the show later. Trust yeah. me, screaming at TV, <laughs> screaming. Yeah. Well, listen. Yeah, for you to jump in. No, I was gonna say, as stand-up comics, that's the beauty of what we do. We can take what happens in the day and take it to stage. And typically, if you've gone through it, there's a hundred other people that have gone through it. And you know, the the awkwardness of being nervous and spilling all of your drinks on a person that you like, and it, you know. Yeah, because you guys missed that part where she spilled a bunch of stuff all over, on his all over us, and, and then and then she uh, robbed an intern earlier. <laughs> Like, everybody can relate to having a bad day when you're trying to make an impression. She grabbed someone's cell phone. It wasn't hers. You spill coffee. <laughs> and then you spill coffee on your boss's crotch. And you think, am I ever going to have a job again? It just, anybody can relate to that when you're talking about it on stage. It's, I mean, am like. Am I going to have a job? You will have a job. Just okay. you will have a sitting job. here with you, like, you have such a fun dynamic. I don't know how you We've get We've known any each work. other forever. Well, I don't know how you get any work we've known, done. We've known each other actually, forever. When you're actually we on stage with each other. We were comics. 20 some yeah. odd years ago. Yeah. We're just, you know, I was giving her a ride in my car because her car had gotten repossessed. Got repo- but my car was on deck to get repoed. About so, repo. you know, I was just better at hiding it than she was. Yeah, well, wow. I didn't have nothing. So it's just like, the, you know, the struggle and, and being able to see Gabe at this point is just like yeah. amazing. Yeah. I feel like I need to sue you for something. <laughs> no, no. Like we didn't sleep together. Nothing. Nothing. No. <laughs> when you're on set, are you like, are you really sticking to the scripts or are you just like having all of this fun like that you're having right now that's kind of banter and then that makes it into the show? Well, we're always talking, but I mean, when we got to work, we got to work. But, you know, we'll always <laughs> improvise with the lines and then, uh, you know, Sherry's always doing something with the script. Like if you, if you hand her a script in 10 minutes, it'll look like a bag of broken potato chips. Cause just because so she just crinkles like, it. She grabs the paper and crinkles. Crinkles it. Oh she, she taught me a technique to be able to access the pages easier is to crinkle, crinkle it crinkle up. For all any up. actors, you guys who have scripts, crinkle the, crinkle corners. the corners of your pages and, and you can, smooth you them. Can find the, and you can find That's so you don't got to keep licking your finger. When you go on auditions, crinkle Interesting. the corners of your pages. I, I use that technique now. Well, thank you, Mary Lou Hanner. Thank you for dropping uh, the wisdom on us. And thank you both so much for joining and, me today. And sleep with the star of the show. That'll, if, <laughs> if you're not a good actor... <laughs> That, that, that'll get you at least three lines. So why didn't you get season two? At what point? Well, don't, don't spill coffee on his crotch. That will stop everything. <laughs> well, thank you both so much. No, don't sleep with the star <laughs> show. No, I don't want to. Disclaimer, woman. Disclaimer. Well, the disclaimer. All right, we're going to leave it at that. Mr. Iglesias premieres on Friday, June 21st on Netflix. Stay tuned for more AM to DM. Don't look in her purse. Thank you both so much. Thank you. Welcome back. Here's a tweet from Linda Holmes. I just read Taffy Brodesser Ackner's novel, Fleischman is in Trouble, and as much as I expected it would be good, I was unprepared for how good it is. It will take me quite a while to stop thinking about it. I'm joined now by Taffy Brodesser Ackner, author Hi. of the new novel, Fleischman is in Trouble. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for taking the time of being here. It's launch day. You're probably exhausted. It's I'm the exhausted. morning. But it's launch I'm day. so <laughs> glad that you're here with us. So Thank you for having me. So you're known for your incredible profiles, Gwyneth Paltrow, Bradley Cooper, I person of the Tom Hiddleston profile, so many more. What made you want to write a novel of all things? The thing that made me want to write a novel is that is that nobody wanted this as a magazine story. Huh. That I, when I turned 40, so many of my friends were telling me that they were getting divorced, but not to be upset for them because look at what was going on in their lives. Mm-hmm. And they were showing me, both the men and the women, they were showing me mm-hmm. their app dating, and it felt like this strange revolution where you 
now could date without having to show up in your disgusting human form. <laughs> just like you could just curate mm -hmm. how you appear in the world. And when I wanted to write it for GQ, which is where I was working at the mm -hmm. time, my editor said, this is just like, the reader won't understand it. The reader has only been huh. app dating ever oh, in his life. And okay. I thought that was fair. But I sat down and I started writing it anyway. And it, 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 it wrote itself, except I also wrote it. <laughs> I feel right in a way is just really good advice in general, <laughs> like just moving forward. Well, the reception to the book has been incredible. Yeah. But you did you. say that you've gotten some backhanded compliments from men. Yeah. How do you handle those? Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I like, like them or whatever. Mm. I, I feel they are doing the best they can. <laughs> They use, they use words like <laughs> they're impressed with me, that I really like exceeded expectations, mm -hmm. and 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 that that's their best. That's the, I see you get a backhand compliment. Apparently, you serve it right back at them. You tried, sweetie. You tried <laughs> the compliment. You did the best you could. It was so nice of you to try to compliment <laughs> me like this. Yeah. So the book is great. One line Thank that you. really stu stuck with me was. How miserable is too miserable? Yes. Is that a question that anyone has an easy answer to? Like, I feel like this is something that people in various stages of relationships go through for their entire lives. You know, the thing I always thought about divorce, my parents are divorced and have been since I was six years old. And the thing I always think about divorce, especially as I see it around me, is, is not is not, are you miserable? Because mm -hmm. everyone is sometimes miserable and sometimes happy. Right. It's how much misery can you both tolerate? Mm -hmm. How much fighting can you both tolerate? Because there's always fighting, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, but the, but the question that these characters have to ask themselves is how, how miserable is too miserable? And the minute one person starts to ask himself or herself that question, mm -hmm. everyone else around them starts to do it too. It's kind of one of those contagious types of yeah. things where they want to know, wait, are, are we too miserable? Mm. Are we people who could have a beautiful moment at a bar mitzvah and then a month later announce our divorce? Mm -hmm. You never know. You never really know what's going on inside a marriage. You really don't. I mean, I feel like people inside the marriage sometimes don't really know what's going on inside right. the marriage. Right. How are they supposed to know what's normal and how are they supposed to know mm -hmm. what's right when nobody actually really talks about their marriage? Everyone mm -hmm. is so concerned with keeping the organism of the marriage um, in, in a PR thrust right. of, of normal and happy, mm -hmm. right? And because the second you say, like, well, things aren't going great, everyone's like, but why? Right, you can't ever leak that without mm -hmm. it then being the story of maybe they're having trouble, are you still having trouble? Mm -hmm. and, and that's the new narrative, and you just yeah. don't want to deal with that. You don't, so. it's poisoning the well. Yikes. Yeah. So moving on to some of the more of the reaction, you recently became the center of a Twitter firestorm for saying that you don't get out of bed for less than $4 a word. Shout out to that. Here's a tweet about it from Jill Filipovich. Uh, we constantly tell women to talk about money and share their salaries and rates so that we might all know what we're worth and bargain for more. And then when successful and fairly paid women do, well, we've seen what happens many times over. What did you make of that whole conversation? Um, I thought it was, it was, it was strange because mm -hmm. I mean, there are stories I do, I do that I work on for a long time. A mm -hmm. lot of people writing, we're talking about the essays that they write, or that I shouldn't be taking four dollars right. a word until more people got more, as if that's the solution, mm -hmm. or as if they get the money that I turn down. Um, I do know that it 
it did a real disservice, I think, to the conversation in which we try to get people to be more transparent mm -hmm. about about their salaries. I think everyone should be talking about their salaries. Mm -hmm. And I think, I really do believe that all boats rise in that case. And I've had such, there were like three tweets about it that were critical. And I had the warmest, kindest weekend on Twitter where I found really? out that all these people really admired me and liked me. Oh. It was, I was like, I love Twitter. <laughs> like everyone was like, Twitter is terrible. You're the one I was person like, Twitter is amazing. Who's been in the middle of this sort of like <laughs> criticism thing and come out like, wow, that was great. It was a, it was a really great moment for me. But also a thing that struck me as ironic is that I was in a terrible hotel <laughs> doing a terrible story, lonely, smelling like Winston's in Atlantic City. And I was working while all that was going on. Oh, wow. And that, that could be yeah, I'm looking why forward I get $4 to... a word. Although I want to also clarify, I don't get anything a word anymore. I'm on salary. Mm. So that was, I want to clarify for the people who, who would be served well to know this, mm -hmm. that I no longer have a word rate, that the word rate conversation was part of something bigger, and that I asked for four words, and sometimes that netted me three words, mm -hmm. and sometimes that netted me 350. Mm -hmm. um, but you asked. But I asked, and I always, in turn, was, was good to work with, mm -hmm. I think, I hope, maybe. So, so what do you think needs to really change in the media when it, do, when it comes to pay equity, if we're still having these conversations? We shouldn't be having them on Twitter. I, mm. The amount of people, the amount of young women who DM'd me and told me they were now going to ask for more money. I don't know any editor who is purposefully doing this thing where they pay certain people something, certain people another. The other funny thing about this conversation is th th those people, their hair would curl if they found out what the men make. Oh, jeez. I mean, someone someone go Google Michael Lewis's pay rate and then tell me how I'm the villain. But it's, it's, Drama. it's, it's a crazy thing to be through the looking glass where mm -hmm. I'm kind of part of, I, I'm, I was Well, you're part of the problem, I'm a part of a problem, but a, a bunch of women, including a couple of the women who had been critical of me, have in the past asked me for advice and I've always given it to them. And the advice is always to ask for more. Mm. And also, in the market, there's an issue of supply and demand. Mm -hmm. If you are prolific, if you are good to work with, if you love engaging with your editors and with your fact checkers, and if you write good stuff, it's supply and demand. Mm -hmm. And then you say, I can't do this story for less than $4 a word. And then someday, mm -hmm. maybe you get $4 a word. And I hope everyone does, because I know that everyone else getting $4 a word will only make me get get more $4 <laughs> words. That said, I'm still on salary and I don't get anything per word anymore. Fair. So this book has put you in the spotlight in a way that journalists typically aren't, including, you know, you've been profiled now. I know. So, so, what, <laughs> so what advice would you give to someone covering you? Um, I, I would, to, to give to someone covering me, I don't know. They've all covered me and they've done a very good job from what I can see. I think that <laughs> you, they have, re have weathered. read all of them? I've read them? all of them and I admire all of them. And they did a great job and they were all very kind about the fact that I sat there telling them how I would begin this story and how I would end it and what I think they should be doing with it. And they had to sit there and smile through it. They didn't do anything too mean in the copy about the fact that I did that. Everyone was very warm. Mm -hmm. um, and it, 
but it reminded me something, you know, once, once this book tour is over, I have to go back to doing my job. Right. And it reminded me how hard it is to be interviewed, how hard it is to, to be in a conversation and realize that that conversation will live on, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to every other conversation that you have. Right. And it also reminded me that the interviewer gets to say whatever the hell he or she wants. Mm-hmm. And just they gone. Don't, yeah. That does not exist. That doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So I really admire everyone who's written about me. <laughs> it was I'm not sure easy. <laughs> I did not make it easy. <laughs> I'm sure that when they come back to you for when you do the next book, they will remember that and keep that in mind. I hope that, that, that they're, everyone's interested in the next book the way they were interested in this one. Well, Taffy, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Fleischman is in trouble is out today. Pick up a copy for you and a friend. Up next, Alex and Zach are reading more of your tweets. Stick around. Thank you. Welcome back. This is At Us, live from Gay Hell. It's beautiful here. <laughs> Sunny, warm, and glitter everywhere. <laughs> well, Cini Martinez tweeted this after my sit-down with Sherry Shepard and Gabriel Iglesias. Gabriel Iglesias deserves all the success. His authenticity shines. This was an interview where I just, like, couldn't stop cracking up. They like, so I was fun. like, I know, I was like, am I even, like, can I even get through this without laughing? And they have so much wa- warmth. And Sherry yes. Shepard is just, like, a force. Oh, yeah, She absolutely. walked back there in the control room and was like, hey, guys, what's up, what's up? I was like, yes, girl, yes. come through. a force. <laughs> Jolie tweeted this after our conversation with Tiffany Caban. I met Tiffany Caban at Jesse Standaffer's Queer Ladies' Night for the holidays. We were just chilling, and when she mentioned she was going to run for DA, I was like, yes, Tiffany is the real deal. I agree, she was Fun. Yeah. It's also, nice to see some representation up in the mix. Indeed. And how do I get invited to this queer ladies' night situation? Right? Like, wow. I want to go. Yeah. Go all right. On. Call me call, next time. Call Alex. She's free. Please. <laughs> well, we asked what's your personal gay hell, and Cecil says making small talk with important gays at charity events and art fundraisers. Ooh, wow. Important gays. I have to go to an event like this tonight. <laughs> oh my god, I also don't like that. <laughs> Tyler Oakley added a flash mob. Oh, Tyler. Oh. God. Yeah, that's true. Whenever I'm in a public place and I see people starting to run, I'm like, shit, is it going to be one of those YouTube moments where, where people are getting gonna engaged and, and I look crazy? So. And you're like, gay help. Well, thank <laughs> you to our guests. Hayes Brown, Will Summer, Del Cameron, Tiffany Caban, Tef- Taffy Broadister Ackner, Sherry Shepard, and Gabriel Iglesias. We will be back here tomorrow at 10 a.m. Have a great rest of your day. Gay help. Gay help.